Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Setting the Scene. My name is Michael, and I'll be your host for today. Today, we are joined by Dr. Judson for another dual degrees episode um, in medicine. This is going to be our eighth one in the series, and this is our 33rd overall episode. We're going to be talking about the MDMPH route, uh, hearing a little more from another guest with his own background, his own experiences. We'll dive into those. Just before we get started, though, Dr. Judson, would you like to give us a quick introduction about yourself so the audience gets to know a little more about you? Sure, thank you. Uh, so uh, my name is Tim Judson. I um, am a physician at UCSF, and on the patient side, I see patients in the hospital, so I'm a hospitalist, and I see patients in urgent care. And then I have a few jobs outside of that, um, which I think we'll, we'll probably get into as we talk more. Um, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my background, which is that I grew up in the Northeast and uh, went to college uh, outside of Boston, uh, Tufts, and um, stayed on actually after college to do an MPH program at uh, Tufts Medical School, and then went to uh, medical school at Cornell before coming out to the West Coast uh, to do residency at UCSF, where I fully intended to just stay for three years, and now I'm going on my eighth year in the Bay Area. Sounds like a pretty good story. We'll be diving a little more into the details. And I just wanted to start off with kind of your, your area of focus and area of interest being clinical informatics, being an MDMPH. I wanted to, first of all, ask for the students listening in, given that many are just in their college years, they might not necessarily be familiar with clinical informatics. How does that fit into public health on a broader scale? Sure. So, so first off, the question, what is clinical informatics is a great one because it's not just pre-med students who may not be familiar with it. A lot of people in, in medicine or practicing have no idea what it is either. Um, clinical informatics is a specialty that deals with um, medical and healthcare information. So an example of that is the electronic medical record system. And just to get into something more concrete, imagine that you're a doctor in the hospital and you want to prescribe a patient Tylenol you might be giving them 500 milligrams of Tylenol. It's actually not possible for you to give them accidentally 500 grams of Tylenol, which would be a lethal dose, because the electronic medical record stops you from doing that. So there's this built-in decision support um, and uh, the clinical systems that we have, even though they're not perfect, are smart enough to allow for good information sharing and for clinical decision support so that we can practice safer medicine. Um, that's part of clinical informatics. There are many other parts like uh, machine learning and um, AI and uh, dealing with big data. Um, and so uh, a lot of that uh, ties into the work that I do every day. Um, and I think uh, the master's in public health, although it didn't explicitly get into um, clinical informatics, it really uh, sets the, the stage and gives a lot of those core topics that um, are the foundation of clinical informatics. Now I'm hearing a little more about the field. Why was it that informatics was your specialty of choice? What led you to get involved? So I sort of stumbled into it. Um, there, there are lots of people who in their medical residency say, I wanna do clinical informatics as a career. And so they go do a clinical informatics fellowship. Uh, and I, I didn't do that. I actually started working. And when I got my first job out of residency, I found myself doing a lot of work in digital health and in informatics, where I was thinking, instead of thinking about just the patient in front of me when I'm practicing in the hospital, I was spending some time thinking about big populations of patients and saying, okay, we have 
maybe uh, 50,000 people a year who need help uh, with getting a flu test, uh, uh, getting tested for the flu or getting treatment for the flu, how can we uh, develop a system so that they can access that care faster and more efficiently and whenever they need to 24 seven? Um, and so those are the types of problems I was trying to solve. And I quickly realized that these were informatics problems. Uh, and so uh, I did a little bit more training in informatics and ultimately um, took the boards uh, to be able to be certified. You mentioned that you kind of split up your time between informatics, patient care, and other roles. Can you take us through how you divide up your time? Sure. Uh, so you can think about it as uh, roughly about a, a third, a third, a third. So a third of my time, I see patients. Uh, a third of my time, I do work in a place called the um, Center for Digital Health Innovation. And at uh, we call it CDHI. CDHI is almost like a little startup within a big academic medical center. So um, at CDHI, we are thinking about a problem similar, similar to the one that I just mentioned as an example, where we may be thinking, okay, we have a big population of patients. How can we take care of them virtually? Um, instead of them having to come into our clinics, how can we design chatbots and care experiences and remote patient monitoring, put it all together into something that allows you to um, make sure that the people who are not uh, physically in front of you in the clinic are actually getting the care they need, doing well, uh, meeting milestones so that their chronic disease can be well managed. I also wanted to touch on another thing that you worked on. Um, you designed and led the implement, implementation to a COVID-19 testing and care tool. What was the timeline there with creating such a product and how does it work? Yeah, thanks for asking about that. So this is a fun story and I think it's a it's an example um, of a situation where if you just kind of are uh, in the right place at the right time, good things will happen. Um, and so I... Uh, when I started my first job, um, a mentor of mine named Ralph Gonzalez had this idea of uh, trying to improve the way we deliver flu care. Uh, because flu, we get it every, every season in the winter. We get thousands of people who have flu-like symptoms. Very hard to differentiate that from uh, the common cold. But ideally, we want to figure out who needs to be tested and who needs to be treated in an efficient way. So we designed this um, flu symptom checker and uh, put it into our electronic medical, medical record system so that patients could access it through the patient portal. And we wanted to pilot, and this was uh, piloted, and this was in um, 2019. And so we sort of knocked on doors and begged people to let us pilot this. Uh, and then we, we did, we piloted it successfully. We developed an automated workflow so that patients could answer some questions about what symptoms they had and uh, what risk factors they may have for severe disease. And then they could actually, uh, just using this online system, they could actually get a prescription for Tamiflu if they needed it, which was, which was a new thing at the time. And then COVID struck and suddenly this little product that we were just piloting, people were saying, okay, can we just, can we make this enterprise wide and offer it to everybody? Um, and uh, th that product has now been used uh, over a hundred thousand times um, for, uh, it's only available to patients who are in the UCSF system, but. Um, it has uh, been able to save over 50,000, uh, or it's been able to, to lead to um, over 50,000 self-scheduled visits um, and uh, over 100,000 triages where patients can um, answer questions about what's going on with, uh, with their symptoms. And then if they need to get tested for COVID, we make that happen. 
if they need a video visit or an in-person visit, we let them schedule it right on this, the, the tool. Very interesting. I wanted to ask about really the limits of technology that you're able to kind of push. There's kind of a limit to what you can do with an algorithm within medicine. So between where we are right now in digital health and to this upper limit, how much more room do you see left for advances? I think there's still lots of room. Uh, we are we're early in the um, journey of actually actually using digital health tools in healthcare. Um, healthcare is one of the slower industries to adapt to this. And what we're using, what I just described, is pretty basic. It's just a decision tree where a patient answers questions in these or this order, and then um, depending on their answers, we lead them to different paths. There are much more sophisticated um, methods of, uh, of automated decision-making that we can put in place. Um, right now, I think where we are with these types of digital tools is that we can do a good job getting people to their ultimate disposition, meaning that uh, do they need a test? Do they need a, to be seen? I think we're pretty good at that. What I don't know that we're very good at yet with, um, with machine learning and, uh, and digital tools is actually making a diagnosis. We haven't replaced the doctor, except for in a, a few very, very niche areas. Um, like a couple of, there's a couple of radiology examples where uh, AI is actually really good at spotting certain things um, and, and one, or, one or two in ophthalmology. But besides that, I think we have a long way to go there. And more so, I think we're gonna be seeing in the future that these types of digital tools uh, can provide even better clinical decision support for physicians so that um, it really prevents people from making mistakes um, in a lot of the ways that we might otherwise and uh, guides us down the right path. I also wanted to ask about and connect to your MPH, considering how big of a public health issue that COVID-19 is, how do you think your MPH aided you in the creation and impl implementation of the tool? Yeah, I think uh, an, a master's in public health uh, provides you with a few, a few things that can be valuable in a career in medicine. An understanding first of health policy and how healthcare is funded, I think is really important um, because the reality is that when you're working in a job in a health system, uh, if you're creating things that don't have a funding mechanism, so either they're, they're not able to be reimbursed by insurance or they're not valuable for some other reason, um, they really aren't going to aren't going to work. They're not going to um, get the traction they need. So understanding health policy is really helpful. Um, there's also a lot of training in in the master's program about um, just how to do ask good research questions and how to do how to do research, both quantitative and, and qualitative. How to understand the data that's in front of you, and uh, the, those things are crucial when you're setting up a program and starting to look at initial data and get feedback and, and make things better. Um, because no program is perfect from the beginning. Another one of your positions is as medical director of care delivery transformation. So through that role, it seems like you're able to bring your interests of public health broadly and, and clinical informatics more specifically together. Would you say that these kind of roles have an influence in the way that you practice one-on-one -on -one patient care? It's a good question. I, uh, I think so. It, the two really play off of each other in a nice way. So um, when I'm seeing the individual patient, uh, it, um, it, I, I often take the lessons from that to uh, the work I'm doing with bigger populations. And then 
when um, when I am seeing that that individual patient, I do think more about some of the really high risk uh, periods in their care. So I do a lot of work, for example, in uh, transitions of care when patients are being discharged from the hospital, and that work has uh, led me to to uh, when I'm discharging a patient who may be a particularly high risk for a readmission or for not doing well when they get home. Um, it definitely uh, makes me think twice before just sort of sending them out without resources. I, I really try to advocate for whatever is possible to support them. A lot of clinicians who are generally involved in public health often take routes like internal medicine for a specialty with their clinical training. Could you be involved in public health for any patient demographic, or is it kind of centered around fields like internal medicine in terms of specialty? It's a good question. Uh, you you do often see a lot of internists working in these fields, like in population health and in digital health, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, any specialty can be involved, and it's sometimes a huge benefit to have people who um, are have different clinical experiences who are involved in creating these programs. I think even more important than the specialty is the setting of practice. So if you practice um, entirely in the hospital, for example, you're probably not going to be very effective in designing tools or population-based programs in the ambulatory or outpatient setting. Um, that's one of the reasons that I, I actually uh, really love doing urgent care, um, where I see I get my foot at least in that ambulatory um, world where patients are coming in the door, they could have anything, and then you have to help them thrive in the community um, when, they leave, when they leave your office that day. Um, and then same same deal with with uh, surgery uh, as opposed to the internal medicine subspecialties. Um, I think surgeons have a very different experience uh, with trying to support patients before and after uh, they come into the OR. And so I think the the diversity of experiences is what is really helpful. And certainly any of those specialties can uh, participate in in population health. So in your personal case. What was the order behind choosing your specialty? Was the decision more like internal medicine because of public health or public health because of internal medicine? Or was there a mix of both? Yeah, it's a great question um, because I think this, this is different for different people. Uh, for me, I, um, I knew that I loved, uh, loved working in public health and loved thinking about how do I help populations of patients to do better with a specific medical problem. And that was kind of my drive from the beginning. So I was, I always had that in the back of my mind in medical school as I was deciding on resident, what residencies to apply for. Um, and, uh, and then afterward, when I was thinking about whether to, to subspecialize uh, in medicine. And yeah, I think it, it was a big uh, driver for me to um, start practicing general internal medicine, um, both as a hospitalist and an urgent care provider, because um, I knew I would, I would see a lot of things and I would, um, I would sort of understand the system. Um, one of the things about uh, working in, in general internal medicine, whether it's as a primary care doctor, or as a hospitalist, is you really get to know the system and understanding the system and especially the, whole, the cracks in the system, the things, places where things can go wrong, that allows you to make change because you can uh, really spot those things uh, earlier. Whereas somebody who's, who may be super, super subspecialized um, may not have much, as much exposure to those things. You mentioned location plays a big role. So for you, why did you choose specifically California? Was it just out of familiarity from residency training or for other reasons? 
Yeah, as far as why I, I, I chose to stay in California after my residency uh, for a job, um, this is, I think, a, a lesson that I, I can't say enough times that um, that I've really learned is that what matters most about the place that you end up working or the place that you end up training is the people more so than the program. They're, of course, both important, but uh, I stayed at UCSF after my residency because of the mentorship that I knew I would get here. Mentors can uh, drive success in ways that we don't always understand from, uh, from early in our training days. Um, I definitely didn't get this when I was in uh, medical school or, or before. Um, I, I knew that mentorship was important, but I thought it was more to provide advice. What I've really learned is that mentors do much more than just provide advice. They, when they understand what your goals are, they uh, start to pull you up and uh, and try to get you those opportunities um, and and uh, really put in front of you the uh, types of programs and the types of opportunities that are going to help you to reach your goals. So uh, that that really uh, unparalleled mentorship is the reason I stayed here in California. So for a few takeaways for students, what factors should they be focused on when considering? an MPH, and maybe just even before that, what might be a, maybe it might be a, a trait in them as a person, maybe it might be um, an interest that they've picked up that would lead them to at least think about having an MPH before even considering what that might be focused on. Yeah, and I think that gets back to what do you learn in an, in an MPH, and, and we talked about how you kind of understand the healthcare system. So if you're if you're somebody who likes to like sort of system thinking, um, who who likes to look at big problems and think about, all right, how do I pick apart this complex problem and and put it back together to try to come up with a solution? If you're that type of person, um, man, does the U.S. healthcare system have a lot of problems? So when you learn about that system really uh, really well and, and in depth as you do in a master's in public health program, you. Uh, it kind of inspires that type of thinking and, and uh, launches you toward a career where you may choose to uh, try to tackle some piece of it, whether that's in government policy or um, in uh, a health system or in quality improvement or in research. Um, so I think that's that's one big component. The other thing is if you're somebody who um, maybe is really interested in, in public health or population health, um, and loves numbers. Uh, the master's in public health program definitely gives you the opportunity to get to become savvy in biostatistics. And that is a skill that I can't speak highly enough about because if you're comfortable with analyzing data um, and you know using uh, systems like R, like Stata or R to do your data analysis, um, it's really valuable. You will be able to come on to research projects and get publications because uh, you can help with analyzing the data. You will be able to answer questions more quickly than other people um, when you have the data in front of you. So uh, I think those, those are just two, two things that I think if those are of interest to somebody, I would really uh, encourage them to consider an MPH program. And even further along that thought process, in terms of timeline, do you feel the timeline of when you had your MPH was fitting? Would you have changed it in any way? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it uh, there are advantages and disadvantages to, to both. So I did it before I did any of my medical training. And the advantage there was I went into my medical training thinking the whole time about, okay, how is the system that I'm learning about this hospital-based uh, uh, care for patients and this clinic-based care for patients, 
where are the cracks? How can I make it better? So I had that, um, that way of thinking as I was going into it and a little bit of experience from work I'd done in the master's in public health. So I think that that, that was great. Um, the other advantage there for me was that I just kind of wanted a year off between college and medical school to, to do something else and to, to think a different way before really diving into the um, more hardcore, you know, anatomy and physiology that I was going to get in um, medical school. So um, the, the way I did it, I think, had those advantages. But I would also say that if I had done it maybe after medical school or sometime in residency, I probably would have honed in a little bit more on some of those hard skills that I just mentioned, like biostatistics. I'm going to really learn how to use these programs um, to do this well. I've had to do some of that um, training on my own afterwards because I really didn't uh, put enough emphasis on it when I was doing the program. And for students, do you think those factors carry on or the some personal factors that are not necessarily as applicable for them as they would be for you? What are your thoughts on that? Maybe, uh, do you mind asking that another way? Yeah, so just in considering these factors, some people might have different weight for different things, right? So how, to what extent do these factors carry on to the general population of students who are considering MPH? Yeah, everyone's gonna have different considerations here. I mean, one, um, one thing that I think is gonna be different for everyone is timing. Um, and if you if you're feeling like you're going to take a year or two anyways to uh, to learn something else or to go in some other direction, I think an MPH is a, a great way to spend that time. Um, one thing that I'll not directly answering your question, but an aside is that if you do a program like an MPH, it's not just about the letters on your on your CV. It's really about uh, the experience that you have and who can speak to what you learn during that time. So uh, an MPH is a great opportunity to not just be in the classroom, but be uh, on the, uh, you know, on the ground level, working on a QI project um, in a healthcare system or working with a public health uh, organization trying to solve a problem. Uh, those types of experiences are where you do a different kind of learning that's really practical learning and also where you develop mentors and develop role models uh, and people who can speak to your success. Absolutely. We've heard a lot of the same from our other dual degree episodes. So I'm sure the advice really carries on uh, throughout all of them. MD, MPH, MDMS, um, MD, PhD. It really bridges together. But that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Judson, for joining us today. It was such a great episode hearing about your personal experiences. It's always good to look at the career outcomes that we see with MD, MPHs so that students can consider, hey, would this be something I might be interested in. It's always great to hear. Uh, for our students who are listening in, if you enjoyed this episode, we have many others in this series. This is something that we've continued on for now. Um, quite a few episodes, we're almost reaching episode number 10 and we've had other episodes in MD, MPH, MD, PhD. We're going to soon have episodes published for MD, MBA if they haven't already. So definitely stay tuned and um, browse through them. There's also other series that we have within our podcast, including financial management, guest spotlights, and more. So if you happen to be interested in those topics, feel free to browse through. But with that said, um, we really appreciate your time here, Dr. Judson, for sharing some of your experience. And we hope that those listening in um, will tune in for the next episode.